Welcome to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm your host, Pete Mazzetti. My guests this evening are Neil and Jocelyn from the American Red Cross. Guys, welcome. How are we? Great. Thank you for having us. Thanks for coming yes. down. Thanks for coming down. Neil, how are you, my friend? I'm, I'm doing very well, very well. Thank you long, for having me. Long time no see. Neil, you and I have done this before, and yeah. Jocelyn is the newcomer to the group. I sure yeah. am. <laughs> <laughs> So Jocelyn, tell us a little bit about yourself and what role you play with the Red Cross. So I am the Regional Communications Director for the American Red Cross here okay. in Connecticut and Rhode Island. Okay. Um, I've had the pleasure of being with the American Red Cross for the last five or so years. Um, and I started in volunteer services. I've spent some time fundraising and now I'm in communication. So, so happy to be here and so happy to talk about my favorite subject, which is of course the American Red Cross. Absolutely. Neil, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm the regional disaster officer for the Connecticut and uh, Rhode Island region. I've been with the Red Cross going on uh, 14 years coming up in June. And, uh, you know, so I am responsible for our preparedness, response and recovery programs within both Connecticut and Rhode Island. And then I also deploy as a large scale disaster relief operation director. Cool. Do you like it? Yes, yes. It's always challenging. You never know what your day's going to bring. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there's, you know, always a lot of a lot of activity to engage in. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, guys, where do we want to start tonight? We got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. Pick a topic. I think we should start with the Preparathon, um, which I, Neil has so timely placed in his background. So we'll give it to <laughs> Neil to talk about our Sound the Alarm Preparathon, which is coming up. Sure. Yeah, no, um, thank you, <laughs> Jocelyn. Yes, I do have the nice background over here to talk about Sound the Alarm Preparathon. Um, so, you know, throughout uh, uh, the, the pandemic, um, home fires have not stopped. In fact, we've actually seen a significant uptick in, in, in home fires, um, especially more people being at home, more people cooking at home uh, during the pandemic. Um, since about 50% of home fires are caused, uh, are started in the kitchen um, through cooking, um, you know, you have more people at home, spending time at home, you're going to increase your, your number of home fires. And so we, um, uh, for this year, for our Sound the Alarm, um, we are still operating. We're going to change it a little bit from where we've done in the past, where we actually go out into communities and install smoke alarms um, in people's homes. Uh, given, you know, the, the state of the pandemic, we're not going to be going into people's homes and installing smoke alarms, but we still have vital uh, home fire safety education that we want to uh, want to bring to the communities and bring to, 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 to people. And so uh, the Preparathon is uh, focused on virtual education. So just like video chat, uh, phone calls. And so between uh, kicking off on April the 8th and going through May the 8th, we are going to be launching um, the Preparathon and it's focused on recruiting 300 volunteers that will then um, go out and, uh, and take home fire safety education to people in their networks. And so they'll they'll educate their friends, their families, neighbors, coworkers, really anybody they care about, anybody that they know, um, provide them with really short 10 minutes of, of home fire education over the phone or via video chat, and really trying to help those individuals take the steps necessary that if they want to either prevent a home fire or to you know um, uh, uh, increase their chance of survival should they be impacted by a home fire. Okay. And so that, that runs from April to May, correct? Yeah, yeah April, April 8th, 8th through May the 8th. 8th. Um, you know, we're really focusing on anybody. So there's not a, a specific location. It's, it's we're trying to find 300 volunteers 
uh, that will really go out and help educate their people wherever they are in the country or across the uh, across the, the the planet. Absolutely, and I'm sure, especially now with what's going on in the pandemic, you guys are are doing pretty well. But there, it's probably been a challenge as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll tell you, you know, within within the pandemic, and we'll certainly talk more about that. But it's uh, the just like everybody else, and every other, you know, uh, business group uh, company has had to modify how they respond. Mm -hmm. um, and that is uh, is it was a particularly challenging environment given our our um, significant hurricane season that we had this this past year. Yeah. Um, there's multiple landfalls uh, happening uh, along the Gulf Coast. Um, just really significant uh, disasters, as well as the historic wildfires that occurred out in California. So normally, as we've talked about before, when we have these large events and thousands of people um, are evacuated from their homes, they come into into shelters, which are in um, you know convention centers and and recreation centers, and thousands of people under one roof. Right. But obviously, with the pandemic, that is not safe to do. Exactly. And so, we had to switch our um, our 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 uh, sheltering plan to what we refer to as a non-congregate shelter plan, where we actually, you know, worked with our our state partners um, and our federal partners to help put people into hotels. And we're talking thousands of people, so they had a safe refuge from the storm, but they also minimized their their level of exposure to COVID-19. Absolutely, absolutely. And Neil, from what I remember, you 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 actually traveled to help with the disaster disaster catastrophes of everything that happened last time we were together you were telling oh, us yeah. about that yeah so uh, this year i um uh i can't remember exactly when but i think some point in uh the early right uh i actually went down to deploy the to texas for hurricane laura which made landfall of southeastern southwestern uh louisiana as a, as a strong category four storm um, i deployed down um to southeast texas and actually rode out landfall in southeast texas uh, and then uh moved over into louisiana um two days later and actually helped set up all of our non-congregate hotel set, uh, sheltering in uh, New Orleans. Oh, cool. How'd that go? Uh, it was very challenging, you know, but I think, you know, because we had, you know, really great people and we had really great partners uh, with mm -hmm. Louisiana um, trying to, you know, be creative with how we were sheltering thousands and thousands of people across dozens of hotels in, in New Orleans. Um, we made it work, and it was certainly challenging. But you know, with everyone being sort of mission uh, focused on the mindset of, of 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 providing safe places for people that have been displaced to to stay, um, we made it and, it, and it was successful. Absolutely, absolutely. Jocelyn, what would you like to add to what Neil and I are talking about? Um, you know, I've also had the the pleasure of helping out with some of our disaster response as well. It certainly has been um, a challenging year, but you know, it's it's really because of our volunteers that we are able to again serve so mission focused and be able to help communities in need um, and actually that ties in very nicely to um, march's red cross month okay um, every year march is proclaimed by the president to be march's red cross month which means that we are really celebrating all of those that help make our mission possible and in particular that's our volunteers our supporters our blood donors mm -hmm. um, we are a 90 percent volunteer organization um, so we have a small staff and a lot of volunteers that help us every single day 
be able to, um, you know, help out those affected by home fires or go to different parts of the country to serve during natural disasters or collect blood. And we really couldn't do it without our volunteer base. So, you know, we're able and proud to be able to celebrate March's Red Cross Month this month and thank all of those volunteers here in Connecticut and across the country that helped make that Red Cross mission possible. Now, as far as blood, blood, blood donations go, I'm sure giving blood sort of looks a little bit different in the middle of a pandemic. It does, but the need for blood is constant. And even right. though we have disasters, we have a pandemic, we still cannot stop collecting blood because there are so many people who need that life-saving blood every single day. Right. So right when the pandemic started, you know, we really were being told, stay at home, don't go out for any reason. And that did impact our, our blood drives and our blood supply. But what we have done is we have, you know, taken those precautions to provide a safe and, um, you know, COVID friendly way to give blood. And that includes temperature taking at the beginning of a blood drive, mm -hmm. spacing out cots, really making sure that, um, you know, those who are donating blood, that their medical history is appropriate and, and you know, that they, they are safe and that they are healthy before donating blood. And, and you know, people, continue to come out they continue to support because that need is so important so um you know so we continue to ask those to who are healthy and eligible to donate blood you your donation could save up to three lives and it's you know just so important that we continue to to look forward as we go through this pandemic now is there a timeline that you have to wait between blood donation um, so you can give a whole blood donation, which is that classic blood drive every 56 days. Okay. Uh, and we do have donors that go on the dot every 56 days when they can go. And how easy is it to give blood, especially during the time of a pandemic? Um, well, what we're asking is that people make appointments before okay. they go. In the past, we did have more opportunities to do walk-ins, and, right. and we're just asking that you make an appointment just so that um, you can prepare that we have the appropriate space and that we know how many people are coming into our facilities. Mm -hmm. um, we do host about um, up to 17 blood drives a day here in Connecticut. Oh, wow. and. We, you know, we've really committed to finding new ways to host blood drives. You know, before we may have held blood drives at some larger company organizations, but with people not going into work as much, we have had a lot more interest in local community um, facilities hosting right. blood drives. Right. So there has been a change that way, but, um, you know, you have to adapt. You have to do what you can to make sure that, that everyone um, you know, we're still able to provide that life-saving blood and that we are doing it in a safe way. Um, so, you know, it's very easy. Um, you can make an appointment at redcrossblood.org or you can download the blood donor app on your phone, which is my personal preference. Easy, <laughs> easy to do, easy to, easy to check in if you need a reminder of your time. And um, your blood donation takes about an hour and 15 minutes as it as it would have in the past. So, okay. you know, I, I welcome anyone who hasn't donated blood before or maybe hasn't in a while to really consider rolling up your sleeves and helping so long as you're feeling healthy and that you do meet those eligibility requirements. Absolutely. Absolutely. Neil, you have anything you'd like to add? 
I would just, you know, really encourage uh, anyone who is eligible to donate blood to do it on uh, every every 56 days that right. Jocelyn mentioned. Again, it's just a great way to literally give a part of yourself to help save um, other people. Would you guys mind sticking around for another segment? Absolutely. All right, we'll be right back. I'm here to talk about how we're going to defeat COVID-19. Well, we got to bring our A game. What's our A game? Here's the strategy. Get tested, stay social distancing, wear masks. Community Health Center has testing sites all over the Connecticut, open seven days a week, and they're free for anybody, babies, students, senior citizens, anybody. So go in and get tested. That's how we can all stay undefeated. Find a location near you at chc1.com. Okay, so we drowned the fire, yep. stirred it, mm -hmm. drowned it again, mm -hmm. and now just feel if it's cold. Yeah. Smokey just gave me a bear hug. I know. I already posted it. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm your host, Pete Mazzetti, sitting here with Neil and Jocelyn from the American Red Cross. Guys, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. So, Jocelyn, I'm actually was looking at some notes during the break. It says here, to, it, the note says to me, March 24th. Yes, March 24th is a big day for us. Um, Mar March 24th is Giving Day. And what we're asking is to honor March's Red Cross Month, we have Giving Day, okay. which we're encouraging those, if you can donate of any size, to help us in our life-saving mission. Um, and not only are we asking for you to, um, for your financial donation, but we're also really challenging you and welcoming everyone to give back in some way on giving day. Right. And that might mean becoming a Red Cross volunteer, taking a life-saving um, CPR course or something like that, and then also donating blood. So there's a lot of ways to give back, a lot of ways to celebrate March's Red Cross Month, and we're hoping that everyone can come out and, and do something to help our communities. Neil, do you have something you'd like to add? No, I, I think, you know, it's essential um, that, you know, as we provide these the support that uh, to our communities through home fires, through disaster relief, through, you know, our, our blood services mission, that we um, really ask the community to help support us in delivering these uh, life-changing and life-saving um, services throughout the, the country and the world. Absolutely, absolutely. Besides blood, blood, besides blood donation, what other programs do you guys offer? Um, we offer volunteer opportunities. Um, I think that there, we do have some pretty special volunteer opportunities. I will let Neil talk about those disaster opportunities, but I'll take an opportunity to share that we have volunteers who help out at blood drives every day. Okay. They do check-in, help with that temperature screening, and then help out to pass those to pass out those snacks and water at the end of someone's blood donation. Okay. And we really rely on our volunteers at those blood drives to help make sure that um, you know those giving are being taken care of. And that's a, a, a volunteer opportunity that's been around for a very long time. I'm sure many people listening have stories of either donating blood or helping out at a blood drive themselves. So it's one of our one of our staple ones and one that we're very proud of. Another very interesting um, volunteer opportunity 
is to um, drive the, it's called our transportation special and it's, and it's to drive the, red, the blood that has been collected to emergency runs to hospitals and other areas. And so anyone can, you know, of course, with a valid driver's license and some other requirements can help us in our mission to get blood that's needed to hospitals quickly and on that emergency basis. So, you know, another unique opportunity and lots of other ones um, with the Red Cross. And I know that Neil um, in, in his disaster world has a couple, too, that he'd probably like to share. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you, you know, one of the unique things looking, um, you know, at the American Red Cross, and again, from my role in in, um, in our disaster unit, is uh, that volunteers um, in, in, in the Red Cross are not just sort of a, a resource that are used as a tool to help do tasks. Um, you know, mm-hmm. volunteers are an essential element of our of our uh, operation as well as our, our culture. And so there's not a role in which volunteers cannot fill. They just have to have the right skills, the training, and sort of the, the experience necessary to fulfill some of those roles. And we're talking things from as uh, you know roles as simple as handing out supplies all the way to running multi-million dollar disaster relief operations. And so the the type of volunteer that we're looking for is really any of, of anyone who wants to help provide services um, within mm-hmm. our humanitarian mission. And so that could be as simple as, um, you know, uh, uh, again, handing out those supplies or to being a, a leadership uh, level volunteer that helps implement programs and works with our national office to oversee programs. We have a, a volunteer who is a, a retired engineer who came in and started as a disaster action team worker. So he was responding to home fires within his local community. And then now he is uh, helping launch a nationwide um, dispatch system that will be put into place over the summer to help dispatch you know, our disaster action teams across the country. And we respond to you know, nearly 60,000 home fires a year. And so through this, this effort of, of this volunteer, he will have an impact on tens of thousands of volunteers and tens of thousands of, of people, you know, from coast to coast uh, that have been impacted through this network. And I think that's the, really the power that the Red Cross can have is that, you know, it's not abstract in what you're doing. There's not sort of this abstract mission that you don't really get to see. You know, our volunteers, you know, can be out there providing direct services directly to people um, in need. And they can also be working on the back end to help support programs that provide services to tens of thousands. And so, um, you know, but we're always looking for um, for new volunteers. Um, you know, um, there's always opportunities. You know, unfortunately, due to the the, the nature of, of disaster relief, we always need um, volunteers at all skill levels mm-hmm. um, join the organization. So I just really want to encourage anyone who ever has a, an interest or or is curious about it to to um, learn more by visiting redcross.org. Right. And what types of information can people find on redcross.org? Um, you can find a lot of different opportunities. Um, you can find volunteer opportunities, as Neil said, opportunities to take life-saving classes, sign up for a blood drive, and keep up to date with the great work that the Red Cross is doing here in Connecticut and across the country. Um, we have 
always have new updates on our work and you know we have many lines of service not only do we provide support and disaster services and blood but also we have a very strong military international services program and you know other you know other ways to give back so it's a wealth of knowledge on our redcross.org website but anything that you related you will be able to find now tell us some little bit about some of the other services that you guys offer um, so we work with our um, military families here locally in Connecticut, across the country, and around the world. Um, and what we provide is not only ways to kind of send messages across the country to those who might need an emergency message, such as a life or a death in the family, but we also provide some different classes about mental health support and how to um, kind of cope with some of the stresses that come with with military lifestyle, not only for um, those who are serving, but also their families. Um, so that is something that we have really put a lot of emphasis over the past year. And, and you know, Pete, with, with these programs, sort of these other programs that they really um, don't get a lot of, of knowledge outside of the mm -hmm. Red Cross. And so, um, you know, one, one program in particular that is, um, is uh, our, our Restoring Family Links program um, in the International Services Department. I had an opportunity to work on a particular case, um, and this is something that is that is um, worked at by Red Cross, Red Crescent societies across uh, uh, in, in every country, um, is trying to do family reunification. Mm -hmm. And so I had an opportunity um, um, a few years ago in which I was working on a case where we were asked um, to deliver a, an international message that came from the South African Red Cross. What our, our task was, it had come through the South African Red Cross, up through our national office, and over to our local office. We had to then go and deliver that message. And so um, these are messages for people that are in refugee camps and places like that. You may think that in today's age of technology that somebody can just, you know, send an email and make this message, but yeah. for many people around around the planet, access to technology is not there. And then even if you did have access to technology, you don't know where some of your family members are that are separated by, you know, war, conflict, natural disasters. And so this message came in and we were tasked with delivering it. And so we found the gentleman who was going to get this message. He opened up the message in our in our office and he broke down in tears. And so he broke down in tears because when he was 15 years old, he fled Rwanda during the, the during the genocide, okay. and he assumed that every member of his family was was killed in the genocide. And in this letter was a letter from a number of his surviving family members, along with a photo. And so they had been they had been um, separated for you know almost 20 years. Um, yeah, almost 20 years uh, during this during during that time, and just through through the Red Cross message, we were able to reconnect that family that had each thought that the other one had perished um, during during that event, and that happens, you know, all the time. Those messages, those families are unified, and all of these things happen under the radar. They're not seen, and and the great thing about it is is that, you know, um, this is where our volunteers can come in to help really not only just not save not only save lives but really reconnect people that have gone through some really horrific um experiences but trying to be that hope um to help people build a better tomorrow wow pretty pretty impressive stuff neil it, and and this is all where we need volunteers absolutely. to help work in, these, work in these programs absolutely absolutely now to volunteer for the programs what special training do you need so, um, 
you know, I, I think it's different based on each program. Okay. And so, like for a disaster program, for different roles that you want to do, sometimes there's, you know, a couple hours worth of online training. Sometimes a little bit more extensive, uh, but it's mm -hmm. all free. And um, and it's based on your skill set and your level of interest. And so as people advance in the system, if they want to take on more leadership roles, there's some additional training. Uh -huh. um, but that's what we offer. And so it, it, it varies. But we want to make sure that that as people are going out and delivering that that our humanitarian mission, that mm -hmm. they have the right knowledge and skills uh, required to do so. Absolutely. But we also do say that the first step would be having a compassionate heart, yeah. obviously. Um, you know, as Neil said, there can there is training, but there's a lot of different ways to help. And some people might bring the skill sets that they have from their jobs. They might, you know, have had a background in finance and they say, hey, I want to volunteer, but I want to volunteer, you know, passing out those snacks at, at an event, you know, so we don't make assumptions about someone's background. We really let people do what they want and grow how they want. And we, you know, have some volunteers that have just such incredible backgrounds, have such incredible compassion for their communities. And we really just can't thank all of our volunteers enough for the work that they do. I mean, the, you know, the story that Neil just shared, volunteers are involved in that type of work every single day. Right. Um, so it's, it's pretty remarkable. Absolutely. Speaking of stories, but like Neil just shared, do you have a story like that, Jocelyn, or a special memory? Um, I actually do have a, a special memory that stands out to me, and I'll try to make it brief, but one time I was helping out at a home fire campaign, and I was in someone's home talking about the importance of home fire safety, okay. and what was a, you know, kind of a random, you know, I just came, to, we came to her home, and we, and we knocked on the door and, to talk about home fire, and when she welcomed us in, she said, oh, I know all about this, and I said, oh, that's, you know, what, what happened? And she said, I talked about a home fire that started in her, in her house when she was younger. And mm -hmm. she had and she had started the fire when she was in kindergarten or around that age because she was lighting matches underneath her bed. Okay. And when she got and it's caught on fire and she got nervous and didn't want to tell anyone. And and so she was so thankful um, that we had come in to talk about it because it was something that obviously had changed her life and the fact that we were now helping to educate about that um you know she just wanted to, to join in and, and helped us kind of give some real life insight into just how often home fires can happen and in the ways that they do cool well jocelyn and neil from the american red cross we're about out of time so before we say goodnight, i want to thank you guys for coming down and hopefully we'll see you again soon thank you so much it was a pleasure thanks guys on behalf Thank of you. Jocelyn and Neil, I'm Pete Mazzetti. Thanks, good night, and we'll see you next time.